Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. Today is October 20th, 2023, and my name is Alex, and I'm joined today by senior tech reporter on the FinTech Beat. It's Marianne Azevedo. Marianne, hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. How's it going in your world? The leaves are falling, which means that the snow is coming, and I am not emotionally ready to deal with it being cold and dark for a long period of time. I know. I know. Hopefully it won't be too brutal of a winter for you. I'm going to just have to eat all the mean things I've said about Austin once it gets cold here and you're having like (laughs) seven degree weather and I'm just crying into my snow shovel. Um, No, but I mean, I'm doing good. I feel like it's kind of a busier period than it usually is in October. Yeah, this week has been nuts. Lots going on. Lots going on. But uh, the good news for everyone with us today, hi, everybody, uh, is that we have lots to get through. So lots of good stuff coming up on the show this week. We have two deals, one from Alara, one from Agnical. It's a really cool company out of India. Get to that in a second. Then we're going to talk about the world of co-working, why we work and a company called Cody are having a beef and any places latest round. Then we're going to talk about Plaid's eventual IPO because there's nothing in the world more that I love than an IPO and nothing Marianne loves more than a fintech company. You smush them together and we're both happy. And then finally, we're going to close with a couple of notes on the world of AI. So if you're into the chat GPT thing, we have much there for you. But Marianne, to kick off a company that I'm very excited about and glad to have them back, I think on the show is Alara. What's going on there? Yeah, I'm actually really excited to talk about this company as well. I have a a personal interest in this topic. So Alara is a telehealth platform that's focused on helping women with certain chronic hormonal conditions such as PCOS and endometriosis. PCOS for the unacquainted stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. Not many people have necessarily even heard of it. Probably many women who have it may not have even heard of it. And that's one of the things the startup is trying to do is to to help these women get more specialized care because, well, two things. One, it can be really hard to even just get diagnosed with it. The founder, yeah. Rachel Blank, was diagnosed with it at 21. It took her a while to get there. I could relate to her story. I was not diagnosed with PCOS until... Uh, almost my mid thirties. And so I knew something was not right with me. I went to doctors, they would like give me medicine trying to like mask the symptoms, but no one ever really addressed like the root cause of them. And then I was reading an article in a magazine about PCOS and said, oh my gosh, this is me. And I took it to an endocrinologist and I said, test me for this. And they did. And they said, you have it. And I said, oh, great. (laughs) Okay. So I finally was able to treat it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But even treating it has been really, really hard. So that's what Alara is trying to do. You can have PCOS or endometriosis. You can go to an, an endocrinologist or you can go to a gynecologist. But not all of them really specialize in this very, very specific condition. So Alara is trying to give these women more support. They just raised $10 million in a Series A round led by Google Ventures. And one thing I thought was really fascinating, too, they partner with major insurers, including like all the big guys, Cigna, Anthem, Aetna, United Healthcare only in eight states, but hopefully that's going to expand. So that that's really encouraging for women who do have insurance and want to take advantage of, of what they have to offer. I have to point out a small flaw on the uh, Alara website. I was uh, tinkering with it before the show, just prepping. And I wanted to see if it, well, me would be covered. Clearly, this is not a product aimed at me, but I was just, you know, putting myself in. And you know what they called Rhode Island? They called it Road. <laughs> 
I don't know if there was like a rendering error in there, but it's two words. And I know we're a small state, but we have two senators, one senator for each word in our name. Come on now. Anyways, um, I love the $10 million round. And anyone who's gone through a fertility journey is going to end up talking a lot about this sort of stuff. It's not just endometriosis and PCOS, though. It's also hypo, hypothyroidism. Is it hypo or hyperthyroidism? It's both, but I think hypo is usually more common than hyper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the the very edge of my medical knowledge right there. You can tell I <laughs> ran into it. Um, but it's a lot of conditions. It's a very important thing. And it's an important part of women's health that has been overlooked. And it's cool to see money flowing into it. And Marianne, with a hook into the insurance world, presumably it could scale pretty quickly. Yeah. So they're, they're virtual care platform. They offer monthly subscription service. And that way, if you're a patient, you can get like ongoing care, medical, lifestyle, nutrition, even emotional support, which I think a lot of people don't realize that there is, there's a lot of emotional consequences to dealing with these sort of hormonal conditions. So they're trying to tackle all the things. So going to keep an eye on this and see how it goes. Yeah. And I just pulled their site back up. It is indeed hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. So Marianne, you were dead on there. I always get hyper and hypo mixed up, which is embarrassing because they're like opposites. You know, that's not something that you Easy get wrong. to do. And, and hypothyroidism, which I also have, is very, very common. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who could take advantage of what they have to offer. Yeah. And a final note about this before we scoot on. I mean, it's just cool to see more telehealth companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that telehealth had this big moment during the pandemic when rules were changed, literally, about how you could give care in certain areas. Right. And that has uh, died down a little bit. Um, you could say that the return to office trend has come to healthcare in at least the US. Uh, but I love seeing a company focused on getting care to a demographic that they can reach virtually because that means more folks can take advantage of it. Shout out, Alara. We don't cover enough health tech now that I think about it, Marianne. Right. We don't. We don't. That's why I think this is, it was particularly important to to talk about this company. Yes. And I feel a little bit bad that we're going to go from a very important thing that impacts many women around the world to thing that Alex thinks is cool, but that's <laughs> the pivot that we have next in the script. So I want to talk about space and I am a big old science fiction nerd, if you will. And uh, one of my goals in life is to go to space at least once. I don't know if that'll end up working out, but it's on my list. And so when I heard that a company based out of India called Agnikul, A-G N-I-K-U-L, in case I'm butchering that, just raised $26.7 million to continue its work on building smaller, cheaper rockets that go up to slightly lower orbits is my general understanding of this. They're called small lift launch vehicles. Uh-huh. So Marianne, have you seen the uh, like the, the SpaceX super heavy rocket that has all the engines and it's like huge and stuff? I've seen it. Imagine the opposite of that. That's what we're doing here. It's like little rocket um, taking things to space. Because one thing that's changed in the space economy in the last yeah, 10 years or so, 10, 15 years, is that SpaceX, because they're shooting up so many rockets, they've had a kind of ride share, if you mm-hmm. will. It's kind of like the UberX of space. You can kind of put your little thing in there along with the larger payload, but there's only so much capacity. And given how much stuff governments, companies, individuals like want to send to space, there's a lot of demand for these smaller launch vehicles. And it's just, it's so cool to see another company out of India that is doing great things in space because I'm sure, Marianne, you recall when the Indian probe landed on the moon. Yeah, you know, honestly, I was I was surprised and impressed with just how much is going on in, in the area of space in India. You know, I didn't realize how active you know, that region is in this industry. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about these rockets is they're made with 3D printing. Yeah. I mean, I I love that. I mean, you know, I've heard, of course, of 3D printed homes. There's a lot of companies doing that. I don't think I've ever heard of 3D printed rockets, though. For sure. But then when I think about 3D printing, what does it not have in it? 
humans touching things, right? So it's probably cheaper to have a 3D printed rocket. And I presume given that this company is as far as it is, it's done tests of its engine. It's now raised about $40 million total. I presume they've sorted out all the things that make me worry about 3D printing. Because when I see a 3D printed like a uh, little object, there's always like kind of like the, the end bits that are sticking out, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and it, it, it looks cool, but not precise. And I presume this has to be incredibly precise. Right. But if it works, I mean, cheap rocket launches. And one thing that Agnicol is doing is they're making their launch vehicle work across different spaceports. Mm -hmm. So I think there are seven or eight places you can launch it from. So if you're based in country X, you can go to well, obviously your local spaceport, but the closest spaceport to you probably and, uh, and get to use one of these things when they're done. So freaking great. I just yeah, love it. That's, it is really cool. I have to admit, but I forgot to mention to my point about India and its growth in this area. Apparently it currently has over 150 space tech startups and equity investments in this, this space, uh, no pun intended climbed by 312% to about 115 million last year. That compares to like 28 million in 2020. So a lot more money is pouring into it there. And the managing partner of a venture firm called this company India's answer to SpaceX, which, you know, that's a pretty high praise. At least directionally, that makes a lot of sense to me. Because mm -hmm. if you think about launch systems as these things are called. SpaceX not only is a private company doing it, but also they did manage to make things more cheaper and more accessible. And so you could view this as a continuation of that trend. So the SpaceX moniker, while still aspirational for a company of this size compared to SpaceX that has done so many launches and so forth, it, it does not seem... It seems a little early, mm -hmm. but not wrong, not a stretch. which is cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to try a very, very hackneyed segue here. Everyone hang out with me. Much like a rocket going into space, there's quite a lot of fuel powering the Indian space <laughs> ecosystem, and we certainly don't want to see them go through a rapid unplanned disassembly before they reach their target orbit. Wow. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we are back, all about WeWork <laughs> and the spat that is dominating the world of co-working. Marianne, one of the most fun things we did at Crunchbase News was tease apart the WeWork S1 filing back mm -hmm. in the day. That's right. And then later on, WeWork uh, did not go public in that manner, but did go out via a SPAC and has since been a public company of some repute since then. But they're back in the news and not for the usual reasons. What's going on? Well, WeWork, as we all know, has struggled a lot in recent years, especially, I mean, it was already struggling before the pandemic, but the pandemic was kind of like what are they, the nail in the, the coffin, um, people not going to work, not leaving their houses. So anyway, earlier this week, they announced that their interim CEO had become their new CEO. They're trying really hard. This is after in August, they're saying they had all these worries about, I don't remember the exact word, he's being a concern moving forward. Like they, they're worried about their viability. Let me just sum yes. it, sum it up that way. concerns about future viability, Thank let's say. Thank you, Alex. So their stock is way down, trading at like 225, I think, the other day. So there's another, there's a startup out there that's like, hmm, okay, we see what WeWork is doing. We're getting inbound from all these founders and companies that are, have claimed that their WeWork space is shutting down and they're looking for alternatives. So the startup called Cody started a marketing campaign back in August called we won't. And basically, <laughs> um, they had they they 
park themselves outside of, of offices. They've got tables, like little booths saying, Hey, we're here. And you know, if you're, if your space is getting shut down or closed, you can sign up with us. And they've got this all over like New York and San Francisco. Apparently this is really pissed off. We work, they sent a cease and desist letter to the company last week and alleged unauthorized use and misappropriation of WeWork's intellectual property, false advertising, torturous interference with WeWork's contractual relations with its member companies. So they're upset. What is most interesting to me, though, because I did reach out to WeWork, they did not reply to my request for comment. Cody's CEO is very undeterred by WeWork's, you know, offensive here. She told me the other day in an interview, and her name is Crystal Rohat, and she said, there's nothing wrong about what we're doing. I believe it's it's fair competition. We're doing standard advertising. If anything, we want to provide support to founders and companies who have been impacted. She's not at all worried. I love a founder that's willing to go like, nah, we're fine. I mean, of all the spats, this is not the one that I kind of saw cropping up because I didn't <laughs> think we worked I don't know. I, I just don't think about WeWork that much anymore. I try to look at it every couple of weeks to see if anything's changed, but I didn't think this is the reason they were going to be back in the news. But one thing we learned is that Cody, which is this other company, C-O-D-I, mm-hmm. is not actually an exact cognate or comp for WeWork. Right. You read my mind, Alex. You do that a lot. I think that's why we work so well together. It's, uh, it's like it's like a decade of stuff talking every day, I, I think has finally infected our brains. It's crazy. Like you totally read my mind. I know exactly what I was about to say. So it's not exactly apples to apples. They're not a co-working company. Company. They have a managed marketplace and they help companies find and manage fully private and turnkey office space. So they're calling stuff like the next gen of commercial real estate. And, you know, they say that a lot of their customers come from co-working and we work because they graduate from that and they want to get their own culture. They want to have their own space. And that's what they're there to help them do. Now, Cody, how long have they been around? Do we know? Because this is actually, and I may just be behind on on this market entirely, but this is, I think, the first time I've heard of them. So I, I don't know if they're new or not. No, they're not new. And in fact, our former colleague and co-host Natasha covered them, I think it was last year. Yeah, last year they raised $60 million in a round led by Andreessen Horwitz. That was last September. Well, and Dreesen then has a couple of bets in the in the property space because isn't there um, Adam Newman flow thing also about buildings? Yeah, at some basic level. Something, yeah, something about buildings. Honestly, I confess I haven't, I have not taken that seriously enough to pay too much attention to it. But yes, well, they were very involved in that. I mean, here we are talking about Cody and WeWork. I mean, when's the last time we mentioned flow in any capacity apart from going, "What's up with that?" Right. <laughs> because because I, I hate to say it, but what's up with that? Like they made this big splash, raised all this money, and then I haven't even heard rumblings about anything. Well, I mean, this is kind of funny, really, because I mean, Andreessen backed Flo in a big way, and now they've backed Cody. So they're backing the co-founder, founder of WeWork. Well, I think, isn't Flo, Flo residential? I think it is residential. Right, So they're they're playing on both sides of that divide, which which is reasonable. Yeah. There are other companies in the market as well. Any place um, announced recently that it raised 8.27 million in a series B round. It had raised 5.3 back in early 22. So that puts it in its last two rounds at, oh man, early morning math, 15.5 million, give or take, which is a pretty, pretty good amount of money. And they have a thing called any place select that you can grab a fully furnished apartment for, I think, a minimum of 30 days. 
Yeah. So I wrote about any place too, and I've, I've covered them twice already in less than two years. So they're not exactly like competitors with either WeWork or Cody, but they're all in a similar, similar space, right? Trying to give workers a comfortable place to work. And so any place started out as marketplace, kind of like longer term rentals for people who they call them digital nomads that say, okay, I want to go work. I want to go work in San Francisco for two months, but then come back home. So they don't, you know, it's not hard. It's not as easy to find longer term rentals on like Airbnb and stuff like that. So that's what they started to do. But then they evolved their model and now they've, they're partnering with developers and then they lease units kind of in bulk, like five to 10 in a building, say, and then they go in, they furnish them, they put in high speed internet, they put in all this like fancy work equipment. And then, yeah, it's a minimum of 30 days. And that model seems to be proving to be a good one for them. They said their revenue has grown 6X since last January. That's 2022 that we talked to them. And they're in, I think, four markets now. They're looking to expand. And the launch fund uh, led their latest round. I think it's really cool. In fact, like if I was going to, one thing I've thought about just infrequently is it'd be really cool to go back to San Francisco for like a month each year. I I miss my city and I miss being there and I miss being able to, there's a lot of people I didn't get to see during Mm -hmm. our whirlwind disrupt trip. I'm still apologizing for a little bit of that, but like if I was going to go, I don't know if I want to stay in a hotel for three days. And then also Airbnb if you do it right, it can be really cool, but I think we all know about some of the complaints about that. So to me, like if I could get our corporate parents to put me up in one of these, that'd be great. That'd be like a best of all worlds. Yeah. And one thing, one other quick thing to know, they're not in competition with Airbnb. They actually list their properties on Airbnb and that's a source of their customer base. Referrals. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, well, I mean, Airbnb will let you rent for two days. A 30 day minimum is a pretty different product. Right. And also it's more professional and less like, Hey, we have a room. I just want to, I want to go back and, and talk about WeWork for a second because it's brutal to keep saying mean things about them, but they just keep losing lots of money. Yeah. And Marianne mentioned that their share price was a couple of bucks a share. Now that's because they did a, a reverse split of a one for 40. So they kind of took their equity and squished it into smaller bits to stay above the minimum $1 per share listing price on most um, exchanges. So not to get into repetitive equestrian corpse abuse, AKA kicking the dead horse. But I think it's worth pointing out that uh, WeWork is hardly making this argument against Cody from a position of what I would call strength. Right. I, I would agree with you. All right. Now, Marianne, there's one thing I know you love. It's Zach Parrott from Plaid, your favorite. You know, Zach and I were supposed to talk in person at Disrupt on stage in a fireside chat. Unfortunately, I'm still so sad that I was not able to actually travel to Disrupt and I missed that opportunity. So I have to settle to still just cover the company from afar. And uh, the news, and this is this is news you can use, everybody, um, not just a new Plaid product update, but Plaid has made a, a big new hire that has got everyone talking. Yeah. So this week they said they've hired Eric Hart, who was at Expedia for 13 years to serve as the company's new CFO. So of course, anytime a startup that's been around for a number of years and it's in the unicorn or decacorn stages in terms of valuation, anytime they hire a CFO, of course, the first thing everyone starts to think and say is, oh, they're planning to go public, they're going public, which of course, I mean, Plaid was valued at 13.4 billion in 2021. That's after not being bought by Visa for 5.3 billion. We don't know what its current valuation is, by the way. 
anyway, you know, it's not a surprise that Plaid might be planning to go public, but but still, it's a big step to hire a CFO. And you and I both communicated with Plaid. They're <laughs> they're a little bit hesitant to to commit to that, saying only that it's a milestone they will consider at some point, but they have no timeline to share. This is just one of those wink, wink, nudge, nudge things. If you're <laughs> yeah. worth if you're worth lots of money and you hire a CFO, we all know what you're doing. And then we say, "Hi, are you doing that thing?" And everyone goes, "Well, maybe." Right. And and then they eventually file, and they're like, "Just." kidding, we were all along. So, I mean, <laughs> it's fine. I, I, I'm accustomed to corporations not wanting to overpromise and underdeliver on their on their exit timeline, especially Marianne, given the uh, the dearth of IPOs we've seen in the last <laughs> couple of years. But Plaid's not going public soon because you don't hire a CFO and then go. We tried that with the SPAC boom and it blew everyone's face off. Right. So what you do is you hire a CFO, get controls in place, you know, get all of your historical financials sorted out and essentially become a more grown-up company in the business sense and then you can list later on. But having a CFO in place and especially an experienced one like this guy does indicate a level of seriousness and maturity in the business pointing them in some direction. So we at least know that they have gotten a good enough score on their PSATs to eventually graduate to the big leagues. Yeah, I I would agree. And also, I mean, they've they've been growing in terms of like expanding the offering. They're very focused not just on, you know, linking your bank account to an application, for example. They're also really heavily into anti-fraud. And so they're they're trying to evolve, right? They're trying to evolve into identity, income verification, anti-fraud. And so I think you know, that growth, the growth around that is interesting. They're not sharing numbers. Like we don't really know how much they're growing, but one would have to think that if they are hiring a CFO, that if an IPO is in the works, they're not doing too bad. Right, Alex? No, no, no. This is, this, this is uh, a move you make from a position of strength because mm-hmm. CFOs aren't cheap by themselves and they're probably going to hire a staff and they're going to have their own software stack and they're going to, I mean, it, it's a big kid move, you know? Right. It's, it's a non-training wheels maneuver. You're not on a trike. Right. So now the big question will be, who's going to make it to the public markets first? Plaid? Stripe? Chime? I don't know. Oh man. I mean, no one, I think is the answer to that. And that's been the correct <laughs> answer for so long now. It makes me want to scream. Can I do a little math magic for everybody? Please. Okay, so math is when you know the stuff and you're doing the numbers. Math magic is when you don't have all the numbers and you have to make stuff up to figure out where things might be. We do this a lot with private companies because we often only have a couple of data points to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, Forbes reported back in mid-2021 that Plaid's business grew about 60% in 2020 and the company had reached about annualized revenue of $170 in December of the end of that year. And an annualized number is usually months times 12, so I presume that in December they had a little over $14 in revenue revenue of 2020. Fair enough. From there, we can kind of throw some growth rates around. If the company grew by, let's say, 50% in 21 and 40% in 22, they would have ended last year on a run rate of about $357 million. Or if you want to bring it down, you could say 40% growth in 21, 30% in 22, $309 million in annualized revenue. None of those numbers are correct, to be clear. But what they show us is, even with decelerating growth, this company is a multiple of the size it needs to be to go public. And that's what I think matters here, because it is big enough. Absolutely. And thank you for that, because you know that the math is not my strength. So that's I appreciate you doing that for us. It's it's barely math. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't I forget if this was on the record or off the record. So I'll just 
No, this was on the record, but I'm going to hedge it anyways. I was talking to a CEO of a large gajillion dollar late stage startup, and he referred to my some of my reporting methods as as arithmetic. And I was like, ow, why you got to do me like that? He, <laughs> it's not impressive mathematics. Yeah, I was like, all right, cool. Last thing here for me is that the company plaid during the Disrupt interview that Marianne sadly had to miss, but we did throw in some of our best for that. The company said that it wasn't burning that much cash and it didn't actually need the capital that it raised when it put that $425 million at that new valuation onto its books. So I think that probably in pretty good shape, but of course we will wait for the final numbers before we are certain about that. That's right. And you know, we'll, we'll be eagerly waiting to see the oh, last one. Oh, God. Yes, please. The first unicorn, decacorn, fintech IPO that we get next. I mean, I'm tempted to send them a cake. They're just like, thank you. I was bored. <laughs> I appreciate this. Oh, you know what we should do? Zach has long hair. I don't have hair at all. We should say that if Zach doesn't go public before the end of 2025, he has to shave his head. Oh, my God. Gosh, that, that, that'll yeah. get him moving. He's really going to agree to that one. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. To close this up today, I want to talk about AI because Marianne, there's been a couple of updates to chat GPT that I think are pretty important, but I'm trying to figure out like, like how much should we assume our, our dear friends with us today on the show know about where open AI's technology is today? Cause I don't want to like overstate it, but I don't want to understate it. I think it would be helpful to to summarize that for them just in case. Okay. So uh, if you know about all this already, skip ahead 30 seconds. But if you just want a quick update, here's the latest from OpenAI. So ChatGPT has been hooked up to the internet, which means that it's no longer stuck in a 2021 era data set. And this has been rolling out uh, incrementally across different parts of the, the OpenAI product stack, but now is out for paid ChatGPT customers. And I tried to go play with this and it turns out that I need to actually give them money. So I'm going to talk to the accountant and see if I can do that. Yeah. Um, and then also Dolly 3 has been integrated into ChatGPT so you can use the latter to use the former. So it's making ChatGPT smarter and also more multifactorial in terms of what it can produce. And I think doing those two things, it's getting more powerful pretty darn quickly. And as always with this sort of LLM stuff, I'm shocked at the pace of progress. Yeah, it's moving really, really fast. And it's hard to keep up, even for those of us that are covering this space and, and really want paying close attention to it. So I can imagine those that that are just, you know, consumers or just people out there. It's really hard to keep up. I think there's a, a couple of things that caught my attention, though, in Paul's story. One is, I know they started, OpenAI started rolling out this web search via Bing in May, right? But then yeah. they had to pull it because they discovered that ChatGPT was capable of displaying paywalled content, which is kind of crazy. So they pulled it pretty quickly. And then they, in late September, started rolling out the Browse with Bing feature again. So yeah. yes, I too have not had the opportunity to explore it. But I think that, you know, there is so much, so much going on here, so much potential. I do appreciate the attempts to be careful still, because I, I feel like there's so, there's so much that could go wrong here. <laughs> you know, there really is. So yeah. I, I know you got to move fast, but you also just, you need to be careful. Move fast cautiously. It's the Marianne way. No, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm still on the, more optimistic than more worried side of the AI world, just because 
I do not think it's likely that we accidentally cook up um, a mean artificial intelligence in the lab and it takes over the world, given that we can barely keep the world running ourselves. Um, but I, I, I will say that I'm glad they fixed the uh, paywall thing because my team works behind a paywall. And if it goes away, we're going to have a revenue problem. So yes, I thought of shout that. Out. I thought of that. I thought of you. It's a little close to home. Absolutely. And another thing now that chat GPT has mouth and ears. So users can actually have a verbal conversation with a chat bot. Yeah. I just think with more inputs, more outputs and a smarter data set. I mean, this is, it was cool and now it's cooler. And, you know, I wonder if actually it's going to help boost Bing's overall search volume enough to change its market share numbers, though this stuff probably wouldn't get counted in the trad way that we do um, comparative search engine rankings. Anyways, Marianne, I recently put together an AI venture capital survey, and I wanted to pull out two things from this that I thought were particularly interesting. Per one of the partners at Glasswing Ventures, their argument, and I asked kind of where will most of the value accrue in the, in the world of startups working with new generative AI techniques and services, and, and they said that most of the opportunity lies in the application layer and that the best applications will harness their in-house expertise to build specialized and middle layer tooling and blend them with the appropriate foundational models. I'm reading that as startups that have lots of proprietary data are going to have the biggest leg up, which is not an enormous shock, but does, I think, kind of cement how I was thinking about that. And then the other thing, and this is my favorite quote from the whole the whole survey, Someone from Alumni Ventures said that, and I quote here, VCs and startups may want to temporarily reduce their focus on defensibility and increase their focus on products that deliver compelling value and focus on speed to market. The dramatic improvement of, quote, human-like LLM performance over the last year has enabled startups to deliver significant value to end customers very quickly. And this was in my question about as you can kind of guess, defensibility mm -hmm. and can startups build stuff that is, you know, long-term viable and won't just get subsumed into a larger company's offerings and saying to focus less on defensibility and more on compelling product and speed to market. I mean, God, that feels startupy, you know, like of don't course. worry about it. Just go build something that people really freaking need and give it to them now. And then you'll probably be defensible. It, it was a good, you know, the best offense is a good best. No, mm -hmm. best defense is a good offense. That's what I was trying to say. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I have, I have Friday brain and I just ran out of coffee. So that's going to happen a little bit, but it was just such a refreshingly aggressive take on mm -hmm. how to deploy this stuff. And uh, I, I like to see that it makes me feel good. Yeah. And another quote, startups that solve for a natural interface are going to be ahead of the curve. And that actually makes sense when you think about it. So there's a ton going on in AI. There's a lot of companies working on it. And like we talked about before, it's tricky because there are companies that are very obviously categorized as AI companies, but then there are others who they may be more like focused on other industries, but incorporating AI into what they're doing so much that it, like we used to talk about, it used to be, oh, everyone's a fintech now. And about a couple of years, it's going to be everyone's an AI company. Well, I mean, a couple of years, I mean, a couple of days. Yeah. I think that's already happened. Right. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to have to come up with new ways to define and categorize startups. You know, we think about a company that does vertical SaaS, including a payment service as part of that. We used to kind of joke that they're now a fintech company. Not really. They do some fintech things, but it's not their main thrust. And AI, like you said, in many companies is going to end up in the same kind of like niche addition, if you will. Right. So I don't even know how I would actually draw the boundaries around what counts as an AI startup and what doesn't. But mm -hmm. we're going to have to probably figure that out because otherwise everyone's just going to claim to be that. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, the taxonomy of startup genres is never simple because it's always changing and, and multiple answers can be right at the same time. We'll have to work on that. My head hurts. Ugh. But one thing is we learn constantly and that's the funnest and best part of our jobs. The funnest and best part of our jobs is oh, recording expensing this. nice dinners. No, recording this, Alex. Oh, recording this. Yes. Right. Not expensing nice dinners. Right. <laughs> Don't look at my expenses. Yes, it's definitely it's definitely this part. <laughs> no, there's there's lots that I love. I just wish that I had like four hours a day to just learn, you know? Yeah. I could be so much smarter if I had like four hours more per day. There's a startup idea. Time. I'd like to buy some. <laughs> well, yeah, startup idea. Have someone condense all this stuff for us so that we can easily consume it and get smarter faster. Yes. Isn't that literally what we're supposed to be doing on this show? Did we just invent our own podcast? Yes, I think so. <laughs> what we need is someone to do Equity Mini before we record Equity to give us more information so we can give it to you guys. Okay, now we're getting a little <laughs> bit meta. We also have to go away for now, but we have a pretty cool calendar set up for next week. So of course, Equity will be out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So mark your podcast calendars. And Marianne, in the meantime, if people want even more of us, they can find us on Equity Pod on both Twitter and Threads. And you can use the code Equity to save money on TechCrunch Plus. I think that's everything. Did I forget anything? I think that's everything. All right. Well, everyone, we adore you and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. And a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.